may be seated. Good morning. It's good to see you all this morning. Uh, hopefully uh, you brought your Bibles this morning, and if you did, I encourage you to open, up, open them up to Genesis chapter 20. That's where we're going to be. If you didn't, uh, you have your phone, a smartphone, you can download the, the app version, and, uh, and you can op- open up the NIV on that app. It's a free app, and we'd love to follow you along in Genesis chapter 20. I don't know if you've noticed, but we, we generally celebrate the things that we love, right? Generally speaking, that's true. And we, we celebrate babies, and uh, babies are fun, right? Anybody love babies? Come on, raise your hand, be honest, yeah? Yeah? Even some of, the, some of you guys even admitted that was good. That was good. Uh, but I was, I, was, uh, I was talking to Drew, one of our elders, the other day, and they just had a baby uh, not that long ago. Um, and, and then we were there yesterday as well, uh, just, just uh, visiting them real quick. And, and babies are fun. They're exciting, right? Uh, you hold on. And some of my greatest memories... Um, is when, is when my kids were young, and uh, especially with Katrina, when she was real little, you know, she was the first one, and so the baby thing was new to us, and, and I, would, I would fall asleep. I've probably shared this before. I've, I would fall asleep on Sunday afternoons watching football or NASCAR, or yes, I watch NASCAR once in a while, and, or whatever, you know, with, with my daughter just laying on my chest. I'd be in the recliner and just laying, on the che- laying down, and she'd just fall asleep on my chest. I loved it. It was, it was, it was amazing. Until, until they needed food, or until they needed a diaper changed, or until they, you know, something happened as they grew older, they, they did something, they stubbed a toe, until whatever the case, and all of a sudden, it, it, it became difficult. As a matter of fact, I was thinking about this, and as much as, as giving birth seems extremely difficult, you know, I say seems just because I haven't actually done that, Okay. And so I'm, I'm kind of just acknowledging my um, lack of ability to empathize completely with that. Um, but, but giving birth seems incredibly difficult. And, um, and, you know, women turn into like monsters or something when that happens. They start yelling at their husbands and all these, not, not my wife. My wife never did that. I just want to hear about other people's wives. And, um, <laughs> you know, and it's, it's this incredibly difficult thing you know, that lasts, you know, several hours or sometimes even many, many hours. But as I thought about it, that is, that is nothing in comparison to the next 20 years, right? As a matter of fact, what I, what I realized this past week, as many of you know, my daughter got married and, and, and that kind of thing. What I realized is that it took, me, it took us 20 years to find some man who would take her off my chest. <laughs> but we finally accomplished that goal, and, uh, and now she's, she's got a husband, and she's going to get taken off the insurance, and, um, and all of these things. But it's, it's amazing that, you know, you have this beautiful little baby, and, 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 and then over the next however many years, sometimes it takes longer. It took us 20. We were high achievers, I think. But um, anyways, it takes all this time and all this work and all this effort. And, and as I thought about it, 
you know, sometimes that's kind of what it's like for us spiritually too. As a matter of fact, Alan Redpath, a British pastor, he said this. He said, the conversion of a soul is the miracle of a moment. The manufacture of a saint is the task of a lifetime. I think that's a lot like raising kids, isn't it? I mean, giving birth is, is kind of the miracle of the moment. But all these years to come after that as you attempt to do your best to raise them to be godly uh, people, that's, that's the work of a lifetime. And, and God willing, not only is, is my daughter continuing on that path, but I'm still continuing on that path. And I think as we look at Abraham and we've been going through this series, Faith and Doubt, and, and looking at the life of Abraham, we've kind of seen that in him too as, as, as he's gone on because he's known to be this great man of faith and yet we've seen all these different failures and of course we're going to see another one today. But he continues to grow. And Abraham, uh, you know, if you think about him, you think about where he is and where we're going to find him today, but you think about where he came from and you remember he was called out of Ur, right? He was, he was in this pluralistic society, this, this, this society that worshipped all kinds of idols and false gods and things like that. And God calls him out of that and says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bless you and you're going to be a blessing. And, and he follows God to this place, kind of shows faith and I'm going to follow God. I don't know exactly where I'm going, but God will show me. And God does. He shows in the land. But then, but then Abraham doubts and he goes down to Egypt and he kind of flees God pro, God's promise and and trying to make his own plans along the way. And then, and then he comes back, and he comes ba- as he comes back into the, into the land, he continues there, he starts to worship God again, even though he had ceased, it seems like, when he was in Egypt. And, and his heart had changed. He comes back a humble man, and he, and he gives Lot the choice of what land he wants to have, and instead of taking that for himself, and he, he very well could have done that. And he gives Lot this, the, the land, and Lot chooses uh, the land over by Sodom, and we know kind of how that turns out, and, and Abraham has to go to Lot's rescue, but rescue, and he comes back from rescuing Lot, and is blessed by Melchizedek, and, and, and kind of has this, these moments of these high mountaintop experiences with God, but he seems to have these valleys in the middle. It seems like with Abraham, it's always, you know, three steps forward and two steps back, but he's progressing, and he's growing, and I think we find that today. As, as we think about it, and the three uh, men that came last week to visit Abraham, one of them being God, you know, showing himself in physical form, the other two being messengers that were traveling, traveling with him, and then they, they go off to Sodom, and, and, and Abraham intercedes on behalf of Sodom, pleading with God for their, for their salvation, and, and, and we kind of talked about how that all turns out turned out last week, but you can imagine as Abraham stands and looks off in the distance and he sees the puff of smoke or whatever it is that has risen from the destruction of Sodom. Perhaps he even mourns significantly for the loss of of life and for the destruction that had taken place. Maybe he rejoices that Lot was spared. Whatever the case, he stands there wondering what is next. What is next? What happens next? And that's kind of where we pick up the story in chapter 20, verse 1, where it says this. It says, Now Abraham moved on from there into the region of the Negev and lived between Kadesh and Shur. For a while he stayed in Gerar. And there Abraham said of his wife Sarah, She is my sister. Then Abimelech, king of Gerar, sent for Sarah and took her. 
But God came to Abimelech in a dream one night and said to him, You are as good as dead because of the woman you have taken. She is a married woman. And you might be sitting here thinking, I think we already had this sermon. <laughs> Wasn't that kind of what happened when he went down to Egypt as well? Like, like I, I have, I've heard this story before. The names have changed. The location has changed. But, but the story kind of repeats. And, and yes, you're exactly right. The names have changed, right? It's a different place at a different time. But again, Abraham begins to do the same thing that he did before. That's why this sermon is titled Temptation 2.0, right? It's like it happens again. But as we think about that, there's a reason that it's recorded. It's not that, that the author made a mistake and, and went, oh, I was going to include this somewhere and I forgot. And then really they didn't forget, you know, kind of one of those things. It happened again. It, it, it happened in a different location with, the, with a different king. But it absolutely, totally happened again. The reality is this. Old sins die hard, don't they? Old sins die hard. It's easy for us to look back as we read through the story of Genesis. I mean, that was just a few chapters ago, it seems like. It wasn't that long ago that we've, we saw Abraham making this same mistake and doing this same thing. And we read it and we go, what an idiot. Like, did you not learn the first time? How hard is this, Abraham? It, it, didn't, it didn't work when you were Abram. It's not going to work when you're Abraham, all right? Just because your name's changed doesn't mean stuff's going to work different. Like, we, we read it, and we think, obviously, this guy is, is not the brightest bulb, or whatever, whatever analogy, whatever phrase you want to use. He's not the sharpest tool in the shed, or, 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 or knife in the drawer, or whatever it is. Like, something's not functioning right in this guy's brain. But then you begin to think about it, and you reflect on your own life, and you might come to the place where you begin to realize that it's the same sins that bug you over and over again, isn't it? It's the same temptations that you fall prey to. It's the same things that come up repeatedly as life goes on because old sins die hard, don't they? And that's true for Abraham. I think we should have a little bit of compassion for the idiot. And uh, <laughs> totally kidding, relax. <laughs> but, but it is kind of one of those things. And you look at it and you go, well, he, he isn't really totally lying, is he? As a matter of fact, in verse 12, and I even mentioned this last time we talked about this sin for, for Abraham. In verse 12 it says, besides... She really is my sister, the daughter of my father, though not of my mother, and she became my wife. I mean, there is this sense, as you look at it, you go, but it wasn't like he told a total, he just told, he told, he told the truth, he just didn't tell all of the truth. Isn't that, isn't that okay? The answer is no, it's not okay. His deception, and it was a planned deception, an intentional deception, that's lying. And Furthermore, it caused somebody else to sin, or potentially to sin. Do you see the difference? Abraham wasn't doing what is right. He tries to justify it, and we'll talk about that later. But you might begin to think, so what's the big deal? He didn't really lie. He didn't, just, he didn't real, reveal all the information. But Abraham's propensity for lying, specifically about his wife, was a habit. It was a reoccurring sin that would rear its ugly head again. 
As a matter of fact, it was kind of a standing agreement between him and his wife. And we see that in this text this morning. Sin is not the kind of thing that we just overcome quickly. Sin is not the kind of thing that we just kind of go, oh, that was a mistake. I just won't do it again. And it just goes away. It's a battle. As a matter of fact, we don't even like to talk about sin. I've said sin like, I don't know, 10 times already in this, in this message. And, and, and in the world, we don't hear that language. We don't go, we don't go around saying, oh, did you sin today? Hey, well, yeah, how's it going? What's your sin? We don't talk about it. And if we do talk about it, it's, it's, we, we, we use words like mistake. And, and I've really been under this conviction as of late that when we use words like mistake, that we really minimize the significance of sin in our life and the damage that it does, not, not only to other people, but to our relationship with God. See, sin is not just a mistake. It's not an oops. It's something that's morally wrong. It's bad. It's evil. It's wicked. It's all of those things. And it comes into our live, lives and it infects our lives and it has significant impact. But Abraham wasn't the only one who struggled with the battle against sin. As a matter of fact, if you begin to read almost anywhere in the whole Bible, you'll quickly find that people are constantly struggling, struggling with sin. Our heroes of the faith, the ones we look up to in Scripture, they struggled with sin. Whether it's David, whether it's Moses, I mean, pick your, pick your character, whether it's Elijah, it doesn't matter. You'll, you, as you read their stories and you read their experiences, you quickly realize that the great heroes of the faith struggled with sin. And if they struggled with sin, how much more will I do the same? As a matter of fact, Paul talks about it in Romans chapter 7. In his struggle with sin, starting in verse 21, he says this, So I find this law at work, although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death Thanks be to God, who delivers me through Jesus Christ, our Lord. If David battled, if Moses battled, if Elijah battled, if Abraham battled, if Paul battled, if Peter battled, if they all battled, if they were all engaged in this battle with sin, how much more are we engaged even today? As we come here and sit this morning, worshiping God, are we not in a battle with sin? With the evil one? I think we are. We're in the battle. We're, the war has been won, but the battle persists. And like Abraham and like Paul, we have this law at work in us too. We delight in God's law, but sin is at work in us. What wretched people we are. Who will save us? Who will rescue us, right? That's the question. And that's what Paul asks. And how does he answer it in verse 25? He says this, Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen? You see, the, the problem with Christianity is this. We recognize sin. And nobody likes it. Nobody likes it. The most difficult PR problem that Christianity has, that Jesus has, is that when the light shines in the darkness, the sin of the world is revealed. 
That's the biggest PR problem Christianity has. Because as soon as we start to say we need a savior, we have to say, from what? And the answer to that question is from our own sin that has infected our hearts and has infected our minds. And nobody wants to hear that we have a sin problem, but the reality is every single person does have a sin problem. Abraham's a great example to us, in large part because of his, the warts in his life. Because he did have a sin problem. But the answer to sin is not found in the willpower of the mind. The answer is found by admitting our fallenness, recognizing our sin nature, and seeking rescue in the person of Jesus Christ, who through the cross gives us his righteousness. That's the good news, that we receive righteousness through Christ because of the cross, because his blood was shed. And can I just tell you, as a brother, as a sister in Christ, that I don't care how long you've been a Christian, you need to hear the gospel over and over and over and over and over again to be reminded of what you've been saved from. The gospel is not just for those who do not yet believe, it is for those who have believed for a very long time as well, and everybody in between. Yet in spite of Abraham's doubt, in spite of Abraham's shortcomings, God redeems him. I'm so thankful for this. Chapter 20 of Genesis, verse 6, it says this. Then God said to him in the dream. This is Abimelech, right? Yes, I know you did this with a clear conscience. And so I have kept you from sinning against me. That is why I did not let you touch her. Now return the man's wife, listen to this, for he is a prophet talking about Abraham. And he will pray for you and you will live. But if you do not return her, you, you may be sure that you and all who belong to you will die. This text is amazing. And here's why. Here's why God recognizes that Abimelech didn't intentionally sin. Now, a lot of times, this is the problem that some people have with Christianity, with the Bible. They go, they go but, but people don't intentionally sin. They're not, you know, a lot of times they don't know. And what about the people who don't know? And I love this text because it shows God's heart for the person who doesn't know, who does something in ignorance, right? Abimelech didn't touch her. And why does the text say he didn't touch her? Because God kept him from touching her. Because he knew that his intent was not to do anything immoral or out of step with God's law. He, he knew that, that, that Abimelech didn't know. And so he says, no, I have kept you from that. But, and there is a but, but if you persist, then we got an issue. Right? If you persist in this, if you, decide, if you say, I, I, I'm not going to give give his wife back to him, then we got an issue. But he gives him the opportunities, right? He said, he, he said, that is why I did not let you touch her. Now return the man's wife. Right? Verse 7. For he is a prophet, and he will pray for you, and you will live. But if you do not return her, you may be sure that you and all who belong to you will die. But there's something else that's amazing about this. Abraham's called a prophet. Did you notice that? Abraham's called a prophet. Here's the, here's the amazing thing. Our failures are actually God's opportunities. Abraham's a failure here. This is the first time the word prophet is used in the Bible. This verse right here. And God chooses to use it towards Abraham right after he royally screws up. 
It's not like God waited till, waited till one of those mountaintop moments where Abraham, all of a sudden, he's, he's following God, he's being obedient, and he's doing all these things right, and, and all of a sudden God goes, okay, now you're a prophet. Way to go, bud. Here's your reward. That's not what God does. God waits until one of the valleys, right? God waits until Abraham completely messes up with the sin that he'd done before, and now he's doing it again, right? And he says, but you're my prophet. You see, our failures are God's opportunities. Our inability to be obedient at times ends up being God's opportunity to show his redeeming presence in our life. It's amazing. I, I love this. God protects all involved in this text, right? It, 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 it's, it's really cool. One, he keeps Abimelech from sinning, right? Right? Two, he protects Sarah from her own willing participation in a sinful decision. And three, he protects Abraham from his own bad ideas. God is a God of of protection. He protects Abraham. And more than that, he elevates Abraham's status in spite of his harebrained ideas. God elevates him to the status of prophet. Now return the man's wife, is what he said, for he is a prophet. And he will pray for you, and you will live. What a cool story. This is the first time in Scripture that word is used, and it's, and it's, and it's amazing. You would, you would think that he would elevate him when he's doing great, but he doesn't. You know, I, I actually um, went and took my son to see the movie Unplanned. Um, on Friday, we went and saw that. And uh, it's a good movie. I think it's, I think it's, uh, it's worth seeing. I encourage you to, to, to go and to watch it. It's, it is rated R. You need to know that. Um, and, 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 and those kinds of things, but it's absolutely worth seeing. And I don't know if you know the story, but it's about Abby Johnson, right? Abby Johnson was a Planned Parenthood um, worker. Not only worker, she actually uh, rose in, 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 in level and became one of the people who was running one of their clinics and, and was honored with, like, employee of the year on a nationwide basis and all these things for Planned Parenthood. And, and she gets called in one day to assist with an abortion um, using an ultrasound, and so and she's going to hold the ultrasound, and she had never never done this, you know, eight years being at Planned Parenthood, and she'd never never done this, and she goes in, and she, she holds the ultrasound, and, and as she holds the ultrasound, she witnesses through the ultrasound what is actually happening when an abortion takes place, and it completely changes her perspective. She, resigned from, she resigns from Planned Parenthood. She now um, runs uh, uh, some pro-life ministries, but it completely changed her perspective. And she, she becomes this pro-life advocate. And, and, and the thing that's amazing about this is, is throughout, as you watch the movie, and, and I learned some things as I watched the movie, it's her story, but I, I learned that she, she had a relationship with God. She thought she was doing God's work all those years. She thought she was doing God's work by helping women who were in a, in a significant crisis in their life. She, she firmly believed that she was doing the right thing, but that moment changed her perspective. And God took her failure as his opportunity to elevate her to a place where he could work through her. That's what happens with Abraham. God does this all the time. I mean, how often is it you think about Paul and, he, and, and, and God, he's persecuting Christians. He's killing them. And all of a sudden, God, at this moment, 
when, when Paul is on a mission to persecute Christians, to kill them, God takes him and says, Paul, you got this wrong. And he elevates him to the status where he wrote most of the New Testament. Over and over and over, God does this. He takes our failures as his opportunities. Certainly it is true our failures are to be mourned. But God's redemption of our failures is to be celebrated. Let the mourning be short-lived, right? So, so, so God's opportunities can be celebrated. That's what Romans 8.28 is talking about. This is one of those verses that's talked about a lot. It's quoted all the time. And in Romans 8.28, it says this, And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Now, there's three things I want you to notice about this text. Three things I want to explain to you. The first one is this. Not everything is good, but God uses everything for good. That's an important distinction. Not everything that happens in our life is good, but God uses everything for good. But it's qualified in two ways. Number two is this, those who love him. And the, and the other way it's qualified is those who are called. This is important. This text doesn't say everything that happens is good. It says that everything that happens is used for the good of, for those who love him and are called according to his purposes. We have to put all of those things in context. Abraham loved God. He was called according to his purposes. And God even uses these moments of failures in his life to do good. The way that happens is this. We have to own it, we have to give it, and we have to let God redeem it. We have to own it, we have to give it, we have to let God redeem it. Jocko Willink and uh, Leif Babb and their former uh, Navy SEALs, they wrote a book called Extreme Ownership. It's, it's a good book, it's a leadership, they're kind of considered leadership gurus, and, and it's a good book in a, in a lot of respects. It's, it talks about owning everything around you and, and not blaming. They say this in, in Extreme Ownership, they say this, Extreme Ownership, leaders must own everything in their world, there is no one else to blame. They get some things wrong in this, but they're approaching things from a kind of a secular perspective, but they get some things right too. And one of the things that they get right is they, they don't give any room for excuses. They don't give any room for justification. They don't give any room for somebody to come and say, well, I know that happened, but it's their fault. Or this other thing happened. Or, or I can't help it. Or I tried. Or whatever. Whatever the thing is, they go, they go there's no room for that. You got to own it. Just own it. Right? We don't want to own the reality of sin in our life. We want to blame it on other things. We want to blame it on circumstances, on context, on, on, on somebody else's failure. We want to blame it on all kinds of things. Everything is blame, 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 blame. We blame everything but us. And what I love about their book is they say, there's no room for that. You got to own it. That's step number one. But then you got to give it. You got to give it. We need to own it, but then we need to give it and let God redeem it. Let me put it this way. When we hang on to our sin, we are effectively telling God that we don't trust him to redeem it. I want you to think about that for a moment. I want, I want let that sink in. When we hang on to our sin, we're effectively telling God that we don't trust him to redeem it. 
And what that looks like is this. It looks like blaming other people for our sin, blaming circumstances for our sin, blaming someone or something else for our sin. That's actually hanging on to it. Another way we hang on to it is we just don't admit it, right? We just don't admit that it's an issue. We just go, it's not an issue. It's not something I need to worry about. And then we can come up with whatever justifications, whatever things we want to come up with. Abraham does this. He tries to justify everything, right? In verse 11, it says this, Abraham replied, I said to myself, there is surely no fear of God in this place, and they will kill me because of my wife. In other words, he starts to blame it on the circumstances. Besides, oh, I love that word, she really is my sister. In other words, I'm not totally lying. I'm kind of telling a white lie. I'm telling some of the truth, just not all the truth, right? The daughter of my father, though not of my mother. And she became my wife. So she, she is my wife, but she's also my sister. So can't I just tell one piece and not the other? Verse 13, and when God had me wander from my father's household, I said to her, this is how you can show your love to me. Everywhere we go, say of me, he is my brother. See, there's that standing agreement that they had. The sin between the two of them was a standing agreement. It was something that they just expected. Abraham made excuses for his actions rather than owning up. We do this far too often. Far, far too often. What Jocko and Leaf recognize is the need to be humble and simply take ownership of when we have messed up. Our failures are God's opportunities. Our failures are God's opportunities. When we mess up, we need to own up. Look at how God redeems the entire situation. I love this. Verse 14. Then Abimelech brought sheep and cattle and male and female slaves, and gave them to Abraham, and he returned Sarah, his wife, to him. And Abimelech said, My land is before you. Live wherever you like. To Sarah he said, I'm giving your brother a thousand shekels of silver. Listen to this. This is to cover the offense against you. Who's he talking to? Sarah. The offense was against her. To cover the offense against you before all who are with you. You are completely vindicated. Then Abraham, in verse 17, prayed to God, and God healed Abimelech, his wife, and his female slaves, so they could have children again. For the Lord had kept all the women, women in Abimelech's household from conceiving because of Abraham's wife, Sarah. Isn't this amazing? This is so, the irony's rich too, isn't it? I mean, you begin to think about this. Abraham's totally messed this thing up. He's not owning it. He's making excuses. He's blaming it on the circumstances. He's blaming everybody else. He's, he's not willing to own it. He's not willing to give it to God. God takes it and redeems it anyways. And, and, and not in the process, not only does he redeem it with Abimelech, he redeems it with Abraham as well. It's unbelievable. God takes the whole situation, the whole mess, the whole failure, and turns it on his head. And Abraham prays, and the women in Abimelech's household can conceive. Now, do you remember Rachel, um, Sarah's situation? I don't know why I said Rachel. Do you remember her situation? She's barren. God uses Abraham to heal Abimelech's household so that they can conceive, so that they can have children. In the meantime, to this point, Sarah remains barren. But there is a promise. 
And there is a timeline, and that is in the near future. It is about to change. But God redeems the whole situation. He saves Abimelech. He saves his household. He, he, he brings life again. He's the God of life, and he brings it into the, into the household once again. He redeems everything. When we have sin in our life, we've got to own it. And we've got to give it. We've got to let God redeem it. Because he is capable and we are not. Old sins die hard, but God can redeem even those. Our failures are God's opportunities to show his redemptive power. We need to own it. We need to give it and let God redeem it. All of that boils down to this. Redemptive presence isn't about our good work. It's about the work of God through us. This is important. As we go into the world, whatever, whatever that looks like, whatever that means, whether it's our workplace, whether it's our schools, whether it's our neighborhoods, wherever we go, whatever we're doing, we need to constantly remember it's not what we can do for God. It's not the good things that we can do for him so that we can somehow earn righteousness. We can't do that, right? We've got that Romans 7 problem. We're still battling sin. And at the end of that, we go, who will save us? What's the answer? Jesus Christ. See, it's not the good work that we can do for God. It's the good work that he does through us by redeeming us, by redeeming our efforts. I realize that it's completely possible today, as I've talked about abortion and things like that, that there are some in here who, who uh, might have a disagreement with me about, about being pro-life or pro-choice. It's, it's, it's very possible that there's people in here who have had abortions. That, that wouldn't be crazy to think of. It's real. But did you hear the message? I want you to hear the message today. Even in our failures, God has redemption. Abby Johnson, that moment that changed her life, God has used that. He's used that to help her do ministry in, in amazing ways. She has a ministry called, And Then There Were None. And this ministry and what she does, she helps abortion workers come out of the abortion industry, helps them find jobs, helps them transition out of that, that industry if they want to do that. What a great ministry. She, put, she supports women. She supports life. She fights that battle as somebody who not only helped, as it, at the end of the movie, there's this moment where she's with her husband and, and she's reflecting on what, what had happened and she's, she's beginning to, to shed tears and, and to, and to kind of break down a little bit because she looks at him and she says, I have been complicit in over 22,000 abortions. But it wasn't just that. See, she had two abortions of her own as well. She understands the hurt and the pain and the sorrow and the difficult circumstances. And God took all of it, all of it, and he redeemed it. Elevating her to a place where we can, she can do the work of God, or more correctly put, God can work through her in a new and amazing way. Now, maybe that's not the issue for you, it's something else. I don't know what it is. It's something else. But we don't look at our failures and go, wow, I'm too bad for God. 
I've messed up too much for God. God's not capable of redeeming this. I answer to you, God is absolutely 100% capable of redeeming anything in your life and everything in your life. Whether it's Abraham's sin, Abby's sin, my sin, your sin, God can redeem it because our redemptive presence isn't about our good work. It's about the work of God through us. Amen? Let's pray.